If you have your Bibles, turn in them to John chapter 8. If you don't have your Bible, uh, you can turn to page 6 in your bulletin. The scripture is printed there. There's a place to take notes on page 7. And before I read the scripture, let me give you some reasons why you shouldn't trust what I'm about to read. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, We're going to be looking at the story of Jesus and a woman who was caught in adultery. And if you look carefully, it's funny, as I've talked to people recently, and I begin, and I show this to them, this is something they've never seen in their Bibles, okay? Um, if you look in your Bibles closely, with a lot of Bibles, you'll actually see brackets at the end of verse 11, uh, and then that's where the brackets close, and then there's open brackets in chapter 7, verse 53. If you have a Bible like that, um, it's because the earliest manuscripts that we have of the Gospel of John don't actually have this story in them. Okay? And so, um, the, early, yeah, so the earliest manuscripts go from chapter 7, verse 52, all the way to chapter 8, verse 12. And they skip over these 12 verses that are in between. Now, the later editions of John has this story. We also have manuscripts that are out that has this story in other places in the Gospel of John. We also have some copies of Luke where this story shows up. And so I bring this to you because I just want you to know that as a church, we do all of our, we want you to trust the scriptures, but we also want you to trust in the leadership. And so as I'm preaching this passage to you, um, I just want you to know that we're aware of the manuscripts, the manuscript evidence that's out there. We're aware of what has been highly authenticated and what is not as certain from the best scholarship that's available to us. Now, <clears throat> so just because this isn't in the earliest manuscripts doesn't mean it's not authentic. There's actually some second century writings that make reference to this story uh, and its historicity. And so there's reason for us to believe that this is historically accurate, even if this wasn't originally in this part of John's gospel. And so if you have any questions, please, you can come talk to me afterwards. Um, I'd love to talk you through any more of the details um, if you'd like. But I just wanted to let you know up front that we're reading a passage that may or may not have been included in this part of John's gospel uh, when it was originally written, okay? So, um, So let me read John 8, verses 1 through 11. I do believe this is God's word. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, They went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. 
And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This is God's word. Friends, it's so important for us to realize that God's fullest revelation of himself is in Jesus. Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. And Jesus came so that you would know what God is like and so that you would experience his salvation. Salvation is not simply about life after death, although it is about that. Salvation begins at the moment that you start a relationship with God. Jesus even said, this is eternal life, that they know you, the, the true and living God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And so to know God is to have eternal life and salvation, and to have eternal life, to have salvation is to have God. And to have God means that your life will grow, that you as a person will grow and flourish. And so we've been looking at this relationship with God and what it means. We've been talking about this picture of us being rooted and grounded in God, in in Christ, in this relationship with him. And that the blessings of Jesus come to us through his work for us, in us, and through us. But this is how God changes us. This is how salvation catches us up. And what it does, uh, what it does in our lives. And so we looked last week at just, again, this simplification of this chart that that the blessings of salvation involve Christ's work for us. He died, he lived and died and rose again so that we would be forgiven and accepted, right? And then his work in us makes us new inside as he gives us his power and his presence. And now we're looking at the work of Christ through us So Christ through you makes you a blessing to others. Or these blessings that you've received from God flow through you and make you a blessing to other people. That's what we're looking at this month, this work of Christ through us. And we've seen that Jesus' work through us, it looks like love. It looks like love for God and love for others. It also looks like us caring for others and sharing with others our lives and the way that we've seen God at work in our lives, the way we've seen God bless us. And it's interesting because last week, um, someone who has been walking with Jesus for a long, long time, someone who has a really deep and abiding faith said to me, you know, I have never before, I've never felt myself like an evangelist. I've never felt very good at evangelism, at telling other people about Jesus. Like, I just don't do it well. I don't feel right doing it. It feels really awkward to me. Um, And then he said, but what you said last week, about how evangelism is just caring for people and then sharing with them. He said, that just changed everything for me. I've never thought that evangelism is just caring and sharing. He's like, that I can do. That I don't need to feel like, I I can do that. I can do that. And so for him, everything just changed as he realized that whether you're caring for and sharing with people who are Christians, that's discipleship. Whether you're caring for and sharing with non-Christians, that's when it's evangelism. But it's the same thing, and it's Christ's work through us. Christ's work through us that does this. And so, as you begin to care for others, as you begin to share with others, conflicts 
will inevitably come up, right? You can tell if a relationship is significant if you are close enough to have conflict, right? Um, and there's going to be times when you're going to feel the need to correct someone, right? How do you do that? When there's something going on in their life that you think is wrong or that you think is destructive for them, like how do you bring that up? Right? Our challenge is that either we come across harsh and unfeeling or we end up never bringing the thing up at all. Right? It's, we're either too loving or we're not loving enough. When you think about this in terms of God, we're either afraid of offending the other person by bringing up this uncomfortable truth or we're afraid of offending God by not bringing it up. Right? What do we do? How do you do that? in the relationships in your life. Well, as always, I think Jesus shows us a way forward. Uh, Earlier in John's Gospel, he says that grace and truth are revealed in Jesus. And so we're going to see this in three ways in this story. First, we're going to look at the scene. Then we're going to look at Jesus' response to the right. And then we're going to look at Jesus' response to the left. Okay? Those are the three points we're going to see. So first, let's just talk a little bit about the scene. Right, verse 2 says, early in the morning, Jesus came again to the temple. And so there he is early in the morning, and he's teaching. All the people came, he sat down, and he taught them. The temple is in Jerusalem. Okay, this is the capital city of Israel. This is where God's presence was in the temple. And Jerusalem is also the place in the Gospels where Jesus' conflict with the religious leaders escalates. Okay? Jerusalem is their place of power. It's where their control emanates from. And Jesus teaching there, when he's teaching in Jerusalem, especially at the temple, he's calling their authority into question. Okay, and so the leaders come to challenge Jesus. And they bring with them a woman who was caught in the act of adultery. Verse 4. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. What's interesting, though, is that this whole story, it's not even about the woman, right? It's really all about Jesus, and it's a trap. Verse 6 says, This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. So the religious leaders, they wanted to, they wanted to show that Jesus is either a fake or a fraud, or that they could have evidence that they could charge him with. They wanted to be able to arrest him and then ultimately to kill him. And so they say in verse 5, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? What they're asking Jesus is, So what are you going to do, Jesus? Are you going to condemn her? Or are you going to condemn God's law? Right? That's the question. They know that Jesus isn't going to condemn her because of all that they've seen and experienced with Jesus. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus came for sinners. Jesus came for people who know that they're broken, right? And so they know he's not going to condemn her, but if he doesn't condemn her, then he violates the law of Moses. And if he does that, he cannot be the Savior. He cannot be the Messiah. He cannot be the one who will perfectly obey the law of Moses. And so this is their trap. And it's interesting because they bring this to Jesus. 
And you've got to wonder. So there's Jesus sitting and teaching these people. The leaders come with this woman. They throw her into the midst of the crowd. And you wonder, what does Jesus see? What is Jesus seeing here? And as I thought about that, I thought, you know what? Jesus doesn't see this as a puzzle. Jesus sees this as people, right? He sees people, not a puzzle. Jesus doesn't see this theological conundrum that he's going to have to work his way out of. Jesus sees people, people who are broken and who need his help. Max Licato has written wonderfully about this. He says that Jesus saw people who were made in God's image and yet who had gone astray. And this is what he says. He said, on earth, when Jesus was on earth, Jesus was an artist in a gallery of his own paintings. He was a composer listening as the orchestra interpreted his music. He was a poet hearing his own poetry. And yet his works of art had been defaced. Creation after battered creation. He created people for splendor, and they had settled for mediocrity. Jesus had formed them with love, and they had scarred each other with hate. And he goes on, he applies this. He says, um, when Jesus saw businessmen using their God-given intelligence to feed Satan-given greed. He said, Jesus would see tongues that he had designed to encourage used as daggers to cut others. Jesus saw hands that had been given for helping then used as weapons for hurting. Jesus saw eyes into which he'd sprinkled his own joy, now burning with hatred. And so, with the tenderness that only a father can have, Jesus set out to untie the knots and repair the holes. That's Jesus' mission, to untie the knots and repair the holes that sin works in our lives, the things that get us into that spiral downward where we realize, like, how in the world do we get out of this? And as Jesus responds, he responds to both the leaders and the woman. And as Jesus responds, he shows us that there's two wrong ways to respond to sin. There's two wrong ways to confront someone. And he calls for a third way that shows real love for people. So we're going to look at these two ways he responds Second point is Jesus' response to the right. His response to the right. This is what he does. He initially responds to the right, the, the, the leaders. The leaders who have stones in their hands ready to stone this woman. What does Jesus do? The end of verse 6, it says, Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. This is how Jesus responds. What is Jesus doing here? I can't tell you how many pages of ink are filled with speculation on what is Jesus doing. Um, some people say that Jesus is, 
actually writing down in the ground the sins uh, that the leaders have committed. Um, other people have actually said, you know what, um, Jesus is writing down the Ten Commandments. Um, others have said, I mean, all kinds of things. Um, one author who I think there's quite a bit of merit to this said, look, it's not what Jesus was writing, it's what he was writing with that's the key to understanding and unlocking this sort of scriptural puzzle. Because if you think about it, Jesus is writing with his finger. And there are two other places in the whole Bible, in the Old Testament, where it talks about the finger of God writing something. Okay? One of those places is in Exodus 31, where it says that God wrote, or that the tablets um, that God gave to Moses with the Ten Commandments were inscribed by the finger of God. And so this is why some think that Jesus was writing with his finger the Ten Commandments in the sand. Um, the other place is in Daniel chapter 5. Um, I don't know if you remember that story, but Bel Belshazzar is the king at the time, and he's throwing this party, and he's abusing the holy things from the temple of God, and it's just, it's, a cra it's like a rave. It's a crazy party. And in the midst of the party, a hand shows up and begins to write on the wall. So you know the phrase, the writings on the wall, it comes from Daniel chapter 5. And in this, um, the, in the writing on the wall, it, it terrifies the king. Uh, and essentially um, what, what he says, what, what it says is, you king are, have been judged, and you are evil. Judgment is coming, your days are numbered. And that's written with the finger of God in Daniel chapter 5. And so some scholars have said, some commentators have said that what Jesus is writing is the phrase, mene, mene, tekel, eupharsin, which is the Aramaic words that were written in, the, in Daniel. And so it's this symbolic gesture that Jesus is saying to the religious leaders exactly what God said to the king in Babylon in Daniel chapter 5. Um, and again, I think that you can make a lot, you can make a strong case um, for that as what Jesus may have been writing. We don't know. I mean, ultimately, we don't know. If you want to say, well, look, all we have is the finger of one who is God writing, therefore, we can look at the other places and have some confidence there, you can conclude that, uh, but the text doesn't tell us. And so, as I thought about it, right, you've heard what other people have said, but I say to you, um, I thought a couple of things. One, Jesus may just be slowing down the scene. Jesus may just be saying, or, or his response might be to take an action. You've got to think about the charge and the temperature of the scene. right? You've got to think about the adrenaline rush in the religious leaders with this woman. The incredible, I mean, it would be like, here we are, I mean, I'm not Jesus, but here we are, and someone, this group of men come in dragging someone who's half-dressed, right, throwing her in here. I mean, you can imagine, they got stoned, they're ready to stone her. And so it's possible that Jesus is simply slowing it down and taking a breath. I think it's also likely that Jesus is doing this as a way for him to pray and ask for wisdom. If that's what Jesus is doing, 
that is a really good example for me. I don't know if you, if you ever feel this way, but sometimes the best way to respond when you don't know what to respond or don't know how to respond is to just stop and pray. It's just to slow down and not give in to the momentum. How many times uh, in a friendship, in a relationship, in a dating relationship with a spouse, do you see things, just they begin to escalate. They escalate and, well, then, you, you know, one takes it farther and the other person has to respond and then it responds and it just, and all of a sudden you're yelling at each other. Right? You kind of feel the emotional momentum. You feel it get ratcheted up higher and higher. And sometimes, sometimes you just need to sit down and write on the ground with your finger. Right? In whatever way that looks. Sometimes it can be saying, you know what? I feel the tension right now and I want to love you well. So will you give me just a moment so that I can pray? I don't know the right way to respond. So can you just give me a moment so that I don't react in a way that I don't want to react? This is Jesus' response to the right. Okay? In the, in the area, yeah, this is your right. So in the area of people who are so eager to take truth and beat people up with it or stone people with it. Jesus' response to them is first, calm down, slow down, stop and think. This is Jesus loving the people on the right. Okay, I think this is an act of love. And he may be explaining judgment to them. If he's writing out the Daniel 5, he may be writing something out that will convict them, that will condemn them. Um, but even in that way, um, well, let's just, let's, let's. <clears throat> so this is how he initially responds. And then they press him, right? They press him as they continued to ask him. So there's Jesus writing in the sand. There's Jesus potentially praying. There's Jesus just slowing the thing down, and they keep pressing him. Jesus, what are you going to say? Jesus, what are you going to say? Jesus, what do you, what do you have to say? They press him. And then Jesus stands up and says to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So what is Jesus saying? If you're not perfect, you can't have anything to say about anybody else? I don't think that's what he's saying. The Bible actually affirms the right of civil authorities, right? The Bible affirms the place of government making decisions and executing laws, you know, and holding people responsible for their actions. And no ruler, except for Jesus, has ever been perfect. So it doesn't make sense that Jesus would be saying, if you're not perfect, you can't do this. Right? I think what Jesus is saying here is, okay, if you want to convict her and execute her for adultery, just like Moses says, then whoever of you are innocent of adultery, 
whoever's without sin in this area of your life, you can throw first. I think what Jesus is doing here is he is exposing the hypocrisy. It's not just that the religious leaders were sinful. I think the religious leaders were actually sinning in this area of adultery. One, I think probably the most ingenious uh, interpretation of what Jesus was writing down. Someone said this. Someone said that what Jesus wrote down was, where is the man? Where's the man? Because Moses actually said, if someone's caught in adultery, that you're to execute both the man and the woman. And so someone, again, speculations, Jesus is like, where is the man? Which, again, presumably, this was a setup. And it's possible that it was even one of the Pharisees, one of the leaders, one of the scribes, who was the man with the woman. But then they took her and brought her to Jesus. And so what their response indicates is that none of them are without sin in this area. So it's possible this whole thing was a setup and that what Jesus is doing is he is confronting them and saying, okay, if you want to execute her, if you want to stone her, make sure, because if you're guilty in this area, you're going to be next. And so what Jesus does for these folks who are on the right um, is he slows it down and then he says, you know what, your hypocrisy is just as bad, if not worse, than what you're accusing this woman of doing. Jesus is saying that, well, what he's saying to the right is he's saying, man, the biggest issue right here is you. It's not her. She's not the problem, but you are. Max Licato writes again, after Jesus says this, let him who is without sin throw the first stone at her. He says this, he says, and you can imagine the scene, someone clears his throat as if to speak, but no one spoke. Among the religious leaders, feet shuffled, eyes dropped, and then thud, 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 Rocks fell to the ground and they walked away. Beginning with the grayest beard and ending with the blackest, they turned and left. They came as one, but they left one by one. Presumably the older had more a sense of their own sin and so were the first to leave. But the young hotheads wanted to keep pressing. But after seeing the older's example, they walked away too. If you know people that are on the right, um, that in the realm of grace and truth, all they are is truth, you want to slow it down. You want to ask them to stop and think, and you want to expose the hypocrisy. 
So then, let's look at Jesus' response Uh-oh. to the left. Can we go to the next slide? I think we got out of there. Uh... <clears throat> well, the point three is just Jesus' response to the left. So it looks like point two, except the last word, instead of being right, is left. Okay? So, then, after they're gone, um, verse 10, I'm sorry, actually, at the end of verse 9, Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and then said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. Look what Jesus says. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Um, I'll tell you in just a sec. Yeah, so Jesus' response to the left. Um, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. So the folks on the right, these are folks that are all about truth. Okay? The folks on the left, these are folks that are all about grace. Okay? Again, we're talking about the work of Christ through us and how do we come to people? How do we deal with it in relationships? We have to tell someone something that is not comfortable, that's difficult, that's challenging. Um, some people are heartless, right? And they, all they do is share and they're unfeeling and they condemn. Other people never say anything, right? They never say anything. Uh, because they're afraid of rocking the relationship. They're afraid of what the person's going to think. And so Jesus now, um, in his response to the woman, I want you to see that he's not guilty of either extreme. Okay? <clears throat> because Jesus, the first thing he says to the woman, and this you've got to hear, Jesus says, neither do I condemn you. This woman, right, clearly from the story, caught in the act, She's a sinner. And yet Jesus doesn't condemn her. So, first of all, if you are a person who has done things wrong, and that's all of us, right? If you wonder what it would be like to stand before God, right? If you are exploring Christianity, if you wonder what a relationship with God looks like, if you wonder how Jesus will feel about your sin. What Jesus says to this woman is what he would say to you. And it starts with him saying, I do not condemn you. And you've got to realize that this is Jesus. Okay? This is Jesus who is without sin. This is Jesus who could pick up a stone. Right? And he says, neither do I condemn you. And I think what Jesus is telling this woman is, He's saying, I am not with them. I am not like them. You've got to realize that I am different from them. He says, neither do I condemn you. But then he says, go, and from now on, sin no more. So some people take the first part of what Jesus says and they go all the way over here and they say, look, we're not supposed to condemn anybody. Jesus didn't even condemn anybody. And if Jesus doesn't condemn, then how can we condemn? Therefore, I have nothing to say. 
I'm not going to, I'm not going to bring this up. I'm not going to talk like, who am I? Where do I have? I mean, right. And that's, but, but Jesus doesn't do that either. Okay. Jesus has people on the right and people on the left of him. And Jesus is in the center saying that the gospel calls us to a third way. Okay. The gospel doesn't condemn, but at the same time, the gospel doesn't approve. Okay, so you've got the anti-adultery folks over here, right? And then you've got the pro-adultery folks over here. And Jesus says to both groups, follow me. Jesus corrects both groups. And this is what he's doing. He says, neither do I condemn you. And from now on, go, go, and from now on, sin no more. What Jesus is saying here, what he's saying to us, is he wants to call us from both extremes so that we can follow him. Um, I talked to someone this week who committed adultery. Um, and began to share with me um, what led up to the what led up to it, how it happened, and the mess that they were now in because of what they'd done. And it's kind of funny because as I sat and listened, um, I didn't have sand to write in, but I was praying like mad because I wasn't sure what to do. I wasn't sure how to respond. Um, I wanted to. I wanted to love this person. I wanted to love their family situation. I wanted to love God. Um, and I didn't know what to do. And I just, and so I prayed. And as I'm listening, I'm trying to understand and I'm putting the pieces together and I'm trying to understand. And, and what I said was, you know, there's this interesting story in the Bible about Jesus. Um, this person used to be religious, has had some spiritual experiences, but it's been a long time. And, uh, and I said, um, I just want to tell you there's a story where there's a woman who's caught in adultery and gets brought to Jesus. And it's really interesting because the religious leaders want to stone and condemn her. Um, and the way Jesus responds is very, very interesting. You've had a bad experience with religion and the way the religious leaders respond in this story is exactly what you think of religion being. But that's not how Jesus responds. They wanted to stone her. And Jesus tells them, look, whoever's without sin, you can go first. And they end up feeling conviction because they know that they're not perfect and they leave and they, they walk away. And I, I said, what Jesus says then to the woman who was guilty, here's what he says to her. He says, neither do I condemn you. Go now and sin no more. 
And I said, I think there what you have is Jesus inviting you into a relationship with him. He's saying, I understand. I understand the legitimate things. I also understand the wrong things that were in you. Um, I understand the difficulty and the challenge. Um, what you've done is wrong, but there is hope. What you've done is wrong, but there's understanding. I don't condemn you. And the pathway for you is to enter into a relationship with God and let him begin to heal and put the pieces back together. think in our efforts, um, I think all of us drift one way or the other in our relationships. All of us either drift toward being condemning and judgmental. Um, this, I actually do both, depending on the situation. Um, if I think I know why someone did it and I feel like I want to make them pay, or I feel like I want to expose them, I feel like I want to get at the, the, you know, the, the sin in their heart. Then I'll come onto this side and really expose them and try to help them feel the shame and the guilt. Um, and then there's other times where I just won't say anything. In the gospel, Jesus gives us this incredibly dignified position where he wants us to be his people, right? That's what God declares. We saw it in the call to worship. We saw it in the confession. God declares us to be his people, his treasured possession. And Jesus wants to work through us so that people can receive and know what he is like. And so <clears throat> he shows us what he's like here. And we need to learn how to work this out. We need to learn how to say to someone, look, I don't condemn you. But from here on, sin no more. I think this kind of response is the best chance that you have at a relationship. It's the best chance you have at a relationship. Because I think people need to hear that they're not condemned by you. And yet at the same time, they know what's going on inside. Right? They know, typically they know what they've done. And I think that what happens here is that Jesus, in this beautiful conflation of both grace and truth, he brings them together. So I want you to spend time thinking about the people in your life and the ways that you go to one extreme or the other. And then I want you to imagine you uh, in this situation with Jesus watching him say to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and from now on sin no more. I think that's what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to follow him in this passage. Let's pray together.
Lord, we, we see you. We see you in this passage and we want to be like you. Jesus, we, we know that there are things in our lives where we could be dragged in front of people and exposed. We know that we could be dragged in front of you and exposed and with shame covering us. We would, we would just want to hide. And so I pray first, Jesus, that you would look at each one of us. And even if there are people in our lives who are condemning us and they're still around, Lord, would you help us to see you and to hear you say that you do not condemn us. Would you help us to hear you say, go and now sin no more, knowing all that you have done to set us free from our sin. Jesus, your response to the right caused them to drop their stones. But by the end of this chapter, Jesus, they picked them back up and were aiming them at you. And so we thank you that as you set us free from sin, as you don't condemn us, it's because you took our condemnation. It's because you took our punishment and you now set us free. Help us first, Jesus, to come face to face with you so that we can see you as you are. And then second, Jesus, would you help us to treat others this way? Show us the people in our lives that we respond to like we're on the right, like we're on the left. And call us, correct us, so that we can treat them the way you do. Let it be that others would see you and how we respond. We pray this in your name. Amen.